I think I could finish there uh, this morning after that. Who won't need to hear that this morning? I know I did. That is uh, a video that I've seen a lot lately. I don't know if any of you have seen it before. But I want to share it with you because it's just simple. It's so simple. But that's really what Christ is about. Our message is simple. It's about Jesus. And often we want to try to complicate it or add things to it. But it's just about Jesus. So this morning I want to share with you uh, a message that's probably a little different, come from a different way. Um, but let's start with prayer this morning. God, we just, just want to thank you for your time here this morning. God, I ask that you would uh, just push me out of the way, that you would speak through me, that your Holy Spirit would fill me, and Lord, that your truth would be known, and that we would just come away from this, not because I said anything profound, but because our hearts are changed with what you did for us. God, we just love you so much. Thank you for um, just our blessings, and thank you for everything you've done for us. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. So I'm coming with you to, to you with a new, different way that I've ever spoke. I'm coming as someone who's excited and someone that is thankful. I'm coming to you as a thankful father. So I got my tears out in the first service. We'll see if I can make it through on this one. But I want to say thank you to my church family. I want to tell each and every one of you thank you because it's such a blessing to have a church family that has continually pointed me, my wife, and my family towards Jesus. And this was a big week for us. Ah, not going to make it, not going to make it. Uh, this is a big week, was a big week for us in our house. My daughter, Johanna, came back from Team Kid last week, and she said, I want to be baptized. Cool. Well, there's something more than that. And we talked to her about her sins and that, and we were not pushing it. But she said, I said, why do you, why do you want to be baptized? She said, because I want to follow Jesus. And that's the message. She's six. She gets it. As much as a six-year-old can get it, she gets it. And sometimes we need reminded just how simple that message is. So, Brian, you don't need to fill the baptism up this week. I will do it with my tears. You may have to put a tarp down, but it'll be good. But I want to thank you guys for your continued pouring into my family's life. I also want to ask that you maybe consider a prison ministry, because I have a two-year-old little boy who I'm sure might need that, based on the way things are going. So... Um, but I have a sincere thank you to my church family. You've poured into me um, since my early days in college. You guys invested in a college ministry that brought me here and showed me a faith of a living God, not just a religious relationship. I thank you for a women's ministry who my wife is much deeper spiritually than I ever thought about being. And it's because of what she's experienced here. And I thank you, Jenny Buzzer. I don't know if she's in here. My daughter loves her because she pours into her every week. And there's so many people downstairs pouring into our kids every week. And I want to say thank you. Thank you because I know when I walk in these doors 
Every Sunday, we're going to hear about Jesus. We're going to hear about what he's done for us. And we're always being reminded of that. We're always being pointed towards the cross and towards Jesus. But I don't want to thank you just for what you've done for my family. I want to thank you for what you guys are doing as a church family for lots of different families. 432 people. That's how many people signed up for Easter experience. And we hosted those a few weeks ago. That's 432 souls who were impacted with the gospel of what Jesus had done for them. And I'm so encouraged as a member of this church because I see unity across our church family, that we're striving for a single goal and that sacrifices are being made by lots of people to achieve that goal. And sacrifices are made for the truth so that one more person can know. I mean, many of you gave up many nights to make that Easter experience work. I mean, poor Miranda ended up with whip wounds trying to figure out how to do a bull whip. Um, I mean, and it's not just a certain section. Many of you may not know, but Jerry Mason has been a long time member here. He's in, he's in the first service for a lot of years. And I was so excited to see him at the Easter experience. But I got even more excited when I saw him passing out desserts and drinks because he was there to serve. A lot of us have made sacrifice. If you know Ray Clow, he's made a big sacrifice. He sacrificed his wife. Um, he signed them both up to teach fourth grade uh, middle school, fourth grade Sunday school, and he bailed on her. And so he made the ultimate sacrifice of his wife. But I want to acknowledge some other people. I think about the Jacobs family, the Clores, the Lynch families, the Oberlins. I'm pretty sure in heaven there's a special section that's like a sandals resort for people who have taught middle school Sunday school. I just want you to know that. Lindsay and I did it for about two and a half years, and we were saved by the pandemic. So, so thank you. That's a sacrifice each week. And the Oberlands, I know you don't want recognition, but you're sacrificing. You're spearheading a high school ministry while working two full-time jobs and raising three boys. So another one can hear. So I can stay here all morning and tell you thank you, thank you, thank you, because I'm truly thankful for our church family and what we're doing here. We had four baptisms last week. Did you know the average church baptizes 1.6 people a year? We did four. It's not about numbers, but it's about souls. And we're going to do at least five more of the next couple coming weeks. So this is what the church is called to do. It's called to go and make disciples. And I know that we're not done. We don't plan to rest. But I'm so thankful for the direction that we're heading. And as I thought about this, and God laid it on my heart, it's just thankful for our church. If you're not a member of our church family or you're new here, I think it's an amazing place. You can come in and come and go as you please, but if you get connected and plug in and serve, it's amazing. But as I thought about how to connect my thankfulness to Scripture, I thought about Paul and his letter to the church of Philippi. We know it's the book of Philippians, not Philippines, Philippians. And Paul wrote this letter to the church, and he he was encouraged by them, but he also gave them marching orders and told them things. And I want to spend time there this morning. So if you've got your Bible, um, we're going to be in uh, the book of Philippians chapter 1. 
But in order to understand what's going on in this book, we got to really know where it came from. So the church of Philippi was planted by Paul. He was on his second missionary journey. His desire was to leave Jerusalem and go to Asia, and he would take the gospel to Asia. But God closed the door. So the Holy Spirit prevented him from going. He kept trying to go, but couldn't go. But God gave him a vision in his sleep of a man in Macedonia saying, come here and help me. So Paul and Timothy head out on this missionary journey and they cross into uh, Macedonia and land in the town of Philippi. So Philippi was beginning entry into Europe. So now it's leaving the Middle East, it's headed up into Europe and they're going to plant a church. So what we know about Philippi is that it probably had very few Jewish people because when Paul and Timothy got there, they would typically head to this, the synagogue and begin to proclaim Christ. But there was a synagogue. And so Jewish law stated that in order to have a synagogue, you had to have at least 10 Jewish males present in the church to form a synagogue. Now, they may have had some more than that, but it also could have been the reason of no synagogue was that Rome did not allow outside religions or outside approved religions. And so Rome, Macedonia was a colony of Rome. And so Rome was interested in really one thing, and it was money. And if there was peace, the money flowed. And so when they came in, they would take over an area and they would allow the religions to stay, everything would stay in place, but don't raise any fuss, just keep sending the tax dollars and the money. And so they would not let any new religions grow up. So maybe that's one of the reasons there was not a synagogue there. But as Paul arrives, he encounters Lydia and she is a dealer of purple cloth, which meant that she was a businesswoman and she was probably pretty successful based on what she did. And she's praying alongside the river um, with some other women and God opens her heart to the gospel. And she is the first convert of the church of Philippi. And while Paul is there, there is a demon-possessed girl following around and Paul casts out the demon. And this girl was used to tell fortunes. So that she was owned, she was a slave and they were using her to tell fortunes. And when he cast out the demon, their fortune went away, they were making money. So Paul and Timothy are then put into prison in, uh, in Philippi. And when they're there, they begin to sing songs and they sing hymns and songs and they give praise to God the entire time, even though they're in prison. And that night, God sends an earthquake, such an earthquake that the doors bust open and the chains fall off of all the prisoners. And the Roman jailer comes in and he's panicked. He sees the doors open and he immediately thinks the worst, that all the prisoners are gone and his, and his life's over. So he pulls out his sword and he begins to take his own life. And they say, stop, stop, we're here. So the Roman jailer had heard those songs of praise, even in those worst conditions. Prison in Rome, and this time, was not like prison here, not three squares with an exercise time and safety. It was bad. It was very, very bad. And he said, tell me how I can be saved. And that day, his whole family became converts to Christ. And so what's cool about the story of the planting of the church of Philippi is that God used a woman, a slave, and a Gentile to be the founding members of the church. You and I might not think that's a big deal, but to early hearers of the gospel, it was a really big deal. 
See, if you were an Orthodox Jew male, every morning you would say this prayer. Thank you, God, that you did not make me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. But God used those exact same three people to begin his church into Europe. He used it to prove that Jesus, this whole Jesus thing, is for all people and for everywhere. And so now we understand what's going on with the church of Philippi. We can look at the letter that Paul wrote to the church. See, this, this letter is going back to the church of Philippi after they sent him um, a gift and they, that they originally provided him. It's a, it's a letter of thanks. And if you look at any of Paul's other letters, you know, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Most of the letters to churches were based on things that we need to correct, we're not doing right, or maybe answering doctrinal issues, like what's this mean? How do we handle it? But this letter is different. It's really a love letter between friends. So we'll start in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. And I'll be reading from the New Living Translation uh, this morning. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. May God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for you with, with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I'm certain that God who began the good work with you will continue until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it's right that I should feel as I do about all of you. For you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you, and I long for you with the tender compassion of Jesus Christ. I pray that your love will overflow more and more, and they will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what it really matters, that you live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced by your life in Christ Jesus. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. So Paul was thankful for the church of Philippi because they were a true partner with him in the gospel. They were a true partner all along the way. See, the church of Philippi was founded roughly about 10 to 11 years before this letter was written. And so the, the church is getting mature, it's been established, and they've been through a lot. But they continued to be steadfast with him. See, the church had recently just met Paul's physical needs. So Paul, when he wrote this letter, is sitting in a Roman prison at this time. He's sitting in a Roman prison. And if you were in prison in Rome, the Romans really didn't care about your well-being. You were there for a reason. You were assumed guilty. And so therefore, they really didn't provide for you. You would have to have family or friends provide all your meals and all your physical needs. And Paul needed that. And the church looked after him, even though they were over 800 miles away, that they sent a gift, they sent coverage, they went and met his needs. Not only were they steadfast in support of Paul, but they were dedicated to the advancement of the gospel during his time as well. And not just in Philippi, but in surrounding areas. The church knew that their mission was to continue to make disciples in Philippi, but also to support missionaries to bring the gospel to new places such as Paul. And so then Paul, in his letter, and starting in verse 12, he begins to encourage the church with news of what is happening. It says in verse 12, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped spread the good news. 
For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It is true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ and pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I've been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach about it with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached in either way. So I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus helps me, this will lead me to my deliverance. So Paul is giving him good news. He says, even in this bad situation, the gospel's moving. It's not stopping. And this would have been a really powerful, incredible thing for the church to hear because they got a pretty good experience with Paul in prison before, when he was in prison in Philippi. They saw God move when they thought it was hopeless when the, first, when the church first started when they were put into prison, but God sent a miracle and sent an earthquake. And they thought that was amazing. But now he's in jail again, and he's reporting back that everyone is hearing the gospel. There's not a doubt. The entire palace guard knows. It's a big deal. The gospel is going places that they thought it would never go, and faster than they ever thought it would go. These places that it's going, they thought were unreachable. We knew about 300 years after this takes place, over about 80% of Rome confessed Christ as Savior. It was having impacts. And they were encouraged saying, I've seen God in the darkest hour do amazing things. When he was here in Philippi, and now when it's in Rome. But then Paul calls them to action. He says, they need to be people who live differently because they are different. He says in 27, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and you see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you're standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they're, that they're going to be destroyed, but that you're going to be saved, even by God himself. For you've been given not only the privilege of trusting Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. And we are in this struggle together. And you have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I'm still in the midst of it. We're called to live a life that's worthy of the gospel. And that's not just an obedience of following what Christ wants, but also an urgency. And trying to reach one more for the gospel, knowing that the truth of the gospel can change one more life. And we're bound by a greater cause. But Paul guarantees that the work is not easy and the road's hard. But that God's going to work to bring it to completion. So this morning, I want to say thank you for what we're doing as a church. That we're moving forward, that we're doing things. But the work's not done. How many of you have ever been to a certified dark location to see the stars? Have you ever been to one of those? You know, we live on the country. We can see you know, the Big Dipper, Small Little Dipper, all that stuff. But when you go to a dark location, you can see so much more. And I think about that in the world we live in today. It's getting dark. The world is dark place. But just like when you're in a dark location, you look up, you see the stars, you see God's glory magnified. God's glory screams louder when it's darker. 
And so I want to challenge church to be ready. The reason we're focused on discipleship is the world's dark. That we need to be telling people about Christ because when times get dark, the harvest gets great. You know, we could be scared. We could say, oh, it's terrible. But Christianity flourishes when it's under pressure. When things are easy, we don't need a savior. When things are tough, it flourishes. And so we need to be a church that's steadfast, intentional, loving, of one spirit and one mind, and dedicated to advancing the gospel. And that's my prayer is that not First Baptist Church Williamstown, but the local church will have that history for thousands of years to come. But Paul doesn't leave it at that. He gives them a warning. He says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, he says, Furthermore, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again. It's a safeguard to you. He's saying, we need, we need to rejoice, but I'm going to keep pounding you with the gospel. I'm going to keep telling you what Christ did over and over again because it safeguards our faith. But he says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of flesh. He's saying, hey, we know the enemy outside the gate, but the greater enemy is probably inside the gate. Watch out. The reason I showed that video is because it's simple. And the more comfortable we get, and maybe the more we spend time in church, we forget to preach the gospel to ourselves. We forget what it's really about. Alistair Begg is the man in that video, and he says, if we're going to be asked in heaven, on what basis are we here? If we answer anything that starts with I, we've missed it. We completely missed the gospel. See, there's nothing I've done to deserve Jesus' mercy and grace. But I know that Jesus said, I can come. See, I've heard people say God is the God of second chances. And if you understand the full gospel, it's not true. You don't understand it. If God is God's second chances, it means he forgives your sin, he wipes it clean, and you start over. It doesn't matter how many chances Jeremiah Kuhn gets, I'm going to screw it up. I don't need a second chance. I don't need a third chance. I don't need a hundred chances. I need Jesus. I need him imputed onto me, which says, when I get to heaven, it's not what Jeremiah's done. It's not what I'm trying to do. It's not what I'm going to do. It's what Jesus did. And we walk in front of God that day. He's not going to see me. He's going to see Jesus Christ, my Savior. And we need to be reminded that. We have to preach ourselves every day because we want to add something to it. We always want to say, but, okay, if I do this and I believe in Jesus, and I, or and I this, or and if I confess, or if I teach Sunday school, or if I do this, or if I'm a good person, that'll help. But you're actually tearing down the gospel completely. The gospel is Jesus in my place, and that's all I need. So we want to be on guard, church, that we can't get comfortable. As we're trying to build disciples, we're trying to move forward, we want to make sure that we keep our message pure. Our message is that the man on the middle cross said, I can come. So when I get to heaven someday, it's not going to be, how'd you do it? It's not this or that. I need to remind myself every day that when I get to heaven, I get to say, he 
said I can come. And that's all I need. So churches want to be encouraging, but also be intentional that we continue to pursue, but we continue to preach that in our lives every day. I've watched that video probably 15 times now. I cry every time because it's so simple. If you've never accepted Christ or made that decision to say, God, I've been trying to do you plus me the entire time, and it's just not working. Or God, I, I didn't realize it was just you. I've just been me. Today's an opportunity, and every day is an opportunity, just to say it's simple. The message never changes. It's the man on the middle cross that I can come. So let's pray.